everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats Podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And that was a massive disappointment. I think that's an understatement. Yeah, I I agree. It's We lost the snow game, what was it, 42-35, to 35, something like that. Um, snow, honestly, may have been what killed us. And there, there are a lot of things. This is going to be a more freeform episode than we typically do. We're not going to do uh, game day grades, at least not very, like, in our traditional sense. We may just do them, like, quickly, but that's a maybe. It's just going to be a more freeform episode, sort of talking about the entirety of the game. But for me, uh, I couldn't go to this game. I stayed home with my parents to as a part of Thanksgiving, giving celebrations, helping decorate the house for Christmas and stuff like that. So I, I got to witness things from the broadcasting angle, which, you know, that gave me a certain perspective. But Connor, what did you see as, uh, as the boots on the ground, you know, sideline reporter here? Um, it was just a really strange game, all in all, because it never really felt like it should have been the way it was, but I think that's because the offense was on the field for so long. I mean, we had 42 minutes of possession in this game compared to 17 minutes and 48 seconds for Iowa State. And, of course, the the numbers been thrown around a lot. They ran, Iowa State did, I think, 35 plays. We ran, I think, 102 plays. So it didn't really feel like, at least for a decent chunk of the game, like Iowa State was, like, the controlling party but like it really became apparent late just I mean long touchdown after long touchdown like we just couldn't stop them I saw today that um Iowa State never ran a play in the red zone no they didn't in this game uh which I think tells the story of it but I mean it from the stands it was just inexplicable uh I was sitting there with the people I was sitting with, and we were trying to figure out what it was specifically that Iowa State was doing that we just could not figure out, and we genuinely had no idea. They weren't really doing anything particularly out of the ordinary. There wasn't anything that they did that we hadn't seen you know, this year. So I, I think that you're probably right. The only different element in this game compared to uh, – all of our other games was the snow so that's probably the culprit because uh, otherwise it would be wildly unlikely to give up four touchdowns of uh, 60 yards or more in a single game yeah i on the broadcast i the snow like i said i think that's genuinely what killed us and the main reason i say that and, and you can say that this is copium all you'd like but the defense that Klanerman runs is predicated largely off of speed and aggression. And whenever you are going fast in snow, it makes it very hard to change directions. So your margin of error for aggression gets so, so, so much smaller. And I think the best example of that, there are like five, you know, however many long touchdowns they scored. But the best, the best example was the dump off pass to Jalen Knoll where we had five or six people on that side of the field and all of them missed because two of them took bad ang- like three of them took bad angles and the other two slipped because they were trying to adjust their angles. 
And that was pretty much the entire game. <laughs> it was just the defense being unable to figure out how to play in the snow. Which, you know, it's really tough. And I know it sounds like like a massive dose of copium to say like, oh, if there wasn't snow, we would have blown out Iowa State. No, that's still true. <laughs> that, is, that is very true. <laughs> but, you know, you, you deal with the hands you're dealt. And the defense had undoubtedly the worst tackling game I have seen in the climbing era. And I would imagine, I'm going to defer to you on this, but I'm going to stake the claim here, probably one of the worst tackling games in K-State history. This, in terms of tackling performances, is probably up there with 2020 Texas, 2010 Nebraska, uh, 2007 Nebraska, I guess, maybe 08, I can't Whichever one they dropped 70 on our heads. Uh, it was one of those two years. Then, um, oh, there's another game I was thinking of. I, I can't quite recall right now, but this is just an all-time just disgusting performance defensively. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, 2018 Oklahoma was pretty bad yeah. uh, for tackling. But... Yeah, this may take the cake, I think, especially given just how few plays they ran. The fact that Iowa State was averaging, I think, over 15 yards per play is mind-boggling. They were averaging 1.2 points per play. Yeah, that that's the sort of stat that you might see, like, one like points per possession, like, for basketball. That'd be a really efficient night for basketball. That's, like, unheard of in football. Um, I... It was very. It was definitely weird to watch live, just because it didn't feel like it was happening quite that often. Just because they just didn't have the ball that much, and because we were controlling the ball and controlling the clock so much, it didn't feel quite that way until it really started to hit me in the second half. Just how bad it was, uh, especially um, in the first. Because in the first half. Uh, we had those two field goal drives that probably should have been touchdowns, but we uh, drained a lot of clock uh, with those drives. Uh, man, yeah, this was just a defensive meltdown of proportions that I don't think I've ever seen from a K-State defense that wasn't like... I mean, 2020 Texas was bad, but we were playing like linebackers, linebackers and safety. And safety on purpose and I I don't that COVID season was weird I don't hold that against them I think really the last time it was this bad even close was probably 2010 Nebraska and that defense was a lot worse than the uh the one that we saw for the rest of this season I mean this is there's really nothing you can take from it other than Nate Matlick individually had a pretty solid night he had a couple of tackles for loss and he tracked a screen down at one point that would have been a huge gain but he single-handedly stopped it beyond Nate Matlick I don't think a single defensive player had a redeemable performance and I don't think I've ever said that about any side of the ball where so many people just were awful all at once yeah I, I think it's you know pardon the pun I guess pardon the you know whatever the word play it, it was the the worst possible storm for K-State. And it's just, you can't... 
you can't have that happen at, at any time. And, you know, I said it earlier, and I'm going to probably say it like 10 more times. The defense that K-State runs is predicated a lot off of aggression and speed. And whenever you're able to turn that speed against them, which is why counters tend to work pretty well against K-State, that's how you win the game. Unfortunately, Iowa State didn't have to do that because the snow did. <laughs> and I, I think there are also a few times that, and I don't like calling out effort of players, but there was a few times that I thought that effort was sort of lacking. The number one time that I'm thinking of is Will Lee literally just bumping the back of Abusama to try and tackle him. And then that ended up being a touchdown. He literally gave him a boost. Yeah. I mean, that's something that, like, you don't even do in middle school. I have a very vivid memory of being, like, in a middle school football game and watching one of our safeties do that to someone and the exact same results happen. Like, that's just not how leverage works. Like, like, if you're running behind somebody and you shove them like that, unless you hit them perfectly or are going way faster than they are, then... They're just going to get a boost from that, probably. If they have any anything resembling contact balance. Which, at that point, he had probably already crossed 150 yards. So, we should probably have been aware by that point. I mean, Abu Sama finished with 16 carries for 276 yards. And three touchdowns. 17, 17.3 yards per carry. And um, in a era where... Chuba Hubbard rushed for like 300 against us. Uh, Bijan rushed for 200 something last year. Um, Devin Neal just tore us up last week. Uh, and that was only for what, 140. Um, this was the most embarrassing performance we've ever put up against any running back. Because this was Iowa State's fourth string running back coming into this season. Uh, Jirel Brock sent to the shadow realm forever for gambling and they didn't bring their top two running backs who are still on the roster so this is rb4 for iowa state going for 276 a, a true freshman abu sama and it's not because he is that good i he's a solid back he's a perfectly fine back there is a no universe in which he should run for more than 50 yards on k-state but yet, here it is in the worst possible day and the worst possible time. And we, we've already used the, uh, the title of Murphy's Law for an episode title. I think this one may be a com- way better time to use that title. But, you know, I, to, to sort of get off of this subject before we inevitably return to it again, this was K-State's Senior Day, and... You know, this is not at all how you want the senior day to go. Um, You know, you just kind of feel bad for a lot of the guys who ended up walking. You know, your players like Cody Stuffelbean. All right, the big one is Will Howard to me. Um, I Leading with Cody Stuffelbean is an interesting choice. Yeah, my fault. (laughs) But uh, he was just the first person that came to mind. Uh, on Will Howard, because this will be a, a pretty extensive discussion, I think that this was the last time that we will see Will Howard play at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. 
and I wish that this was a better ending for him. I wish that the season had a better ending for him, but... Oh, here we go again. Um, stop saying that this was on Will, because that is the most, like, subhuman, mongoloid, brainlit take that I have ever heard in my life. He led an offense to putting up 35 against one of the best defenses in the Big 12. And yeah, sure, he didn't have the greatest second half, but he still only turned the ball over one time. Like, none of this was on Will. And I just get really tired <laughs> of seeing people blame Will for things that aren't his fault. But, you know, this was probably Will's, well, it was almost certainly Will's last game in Bill Snyder Family Stadium. I imagine, I don't know what he does for the bowl game, if he decides to go pro, if he transfers out. But, you know, I, I just want people to appreciate what Will did and has done for the program and I don't think that saying that this loss was exclusively on Will when the defense had the tackling game that they did I don't even think Will is like 5% of the reason K-State lost this game yeah when you allow a, a quarterback for Iowa State and Rocco Becht to Complete eight passes for 230 yards. That's almost 30 yards per completion. Uh, that's 28.75 yards per completion. Uh, and he, on eight of his completions, three of them are touchdowns. That's just not on Will. That is on whoever it was covering Noel the first time that slipped and didn't finish uh, the coverage. Uh, whoever it was that got mossed by Jaden Higgins. That was Colin McAllister. The five or six people that weren't able to contain Jalen Knoll on a third and 16. I mean, that this is a solely on the defense loss. And there's been times this year where Will has really been the main reason for a loss, like the Oklahoma State game. Like, that was pretty much solely on Will's shoulders. So, I, I, I do feel like the... There, there's at least some history of us being pretty fair in how we judge Will. But I I really don't understand some of the people that are blaming this loss on Will, other than I think it's an instinctual knee-jerk reaction, and it's a lot easier to point and blame at the guy that you never liked than to take longer than the five seconds it takes to tweet something to think about what actually happened. But, I mean, that... Most people don't really want to take the time to actually critically think anyways, so it's it's, it's not too surprising. I, I really don't think that blaming Will just... I don't think there's any logical sense to it. I don't think there's emotional sense to it either. I I just... There, it's comp- I think it's untruthful in pretty much every measurable way because every number on the stat sheet, every play that you can watch on the field. The eye test and the analytics say that this loss was pretty much entirely on the defense. I The only things that you could say on the offense were that we probably should have converted those first quarter possessions into touchdowns instead of field goals. But 
when you're in the first quarter, you shouldn't have to worry about being the first of 40 against Iowa State, an offense that has not been spectacular this year, or really most of the time under Matt Campbell. So I can't put this on the offense at all. This is mostly on the defense for not at really any point being able to step up and be clutch. Will still didn't have a good game, I think. I think I think he really had a kind of a bad game, but I don't think that he was the reason for the loss. Uh, and I think that you can have a bad game but not be the reason that the team lost, and not even be close to that. Because we saw Will not have a very good game against KU when we won, but Will still didn't have a great game against Iowa State. But he was the last reason that K State lost that game. Yeah. And I do want to give some props to the offense. I don't want this to be an exclusively negative episode, and I know it may be a little late to provide positivity 17 minutes into the episode. But the offense, generally, the pieces looked good. And it looked like a cohesive unit for quite a long time. DJ looked really good. Treshawn looked good as the RB2. Jace Brown solidified himself as this year's wide receiver one just because he has an insane tendency to separate even against TJ Tampa. Which, by the way, um, I, I think the game was called fairly for both sides, but there was definitely, on both sides, missed holdings <laughs> uh, on defense. And sometimes I think that's just because, you know, you can. it's hard to see. But um, I think the offense had a really good game, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Ben Sinnott having, I think, probably, it might be the best game of his career. Could be second best, depending on if you're looking at uh, 21 or 22 Oklahoma. But I really like the way the offense played. And I want to give massive roses to the offensive line for how well they played as well. Iowa State was barely getting any pressure. Uh, the run fits were generally very rarely blown. Uh, they were able to block the run assignments very well. Weren't missing a lot on the pass block assignments. So a bundle of roses to the offensive line. Uh, MVPs to Ben Sinnott and Jace Brown in terms of offensive actual plays. But, you know, it the offense can play just as well as they would like, but it all comes back to, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you can't hold an offense starting a redshirt freshman quarterback and a guy who had maybe seen, I think he, before this game, had 15 total yards of offense, and he gets 277 of them. That's not a winning formula. You don't win those. No one wins those. Yeah, and it, it probably should be stated, just this sort of game is probably never going to happen again. I mean, I can't think of a time where a team has lost a game to a team that never stepped in the red zone. I can't think of a time where a play disparity has been this wide and the team with more plays hasn't won. I mean, 102 plays to 35-ish. I mean, that should be easy victory 99% of the time for the 100-plus play team. There's so much that's just inexplicable about how this game went down, how weird it was. That does make it peak Farmageddon in a lot of ways where this is just one of the strangest outcomes to a football game that can ever be had obviously we're not really 
appreciating the strangeness of that, given that we're on the uh, losing end of it. <laughs> but there was just a lot weird about the game, given that it was a heavy snow game. We've not had one of those in a really, really, really long time. Um, I it was the first. I think they said the first game of snow accumulation since Nebraska in two thousand. But that game only started snowing in like the fourth quarter. It snowed pretty consistently the entire game uh, for for uh, Farmageddon this year, which I enjoyed. I, I thought it was super fun. So this loss, I, I'm definitely very disappointed. And I guess we could talk a bit about the season after this, but um, I, I still had fun at this game. Uh, among K-State losses, this is one of the ones that has hurt the least just because the experience at the snow game is super fun. I'm glad I finally got to get one. I've been wanting to go to one for a long time. Uh, sucks that we lost, but you know, it, it was definitely the farming getting game ever. And I, I was about to say, I don't think we'll ever lose a game like this again, but for the next two years, we still play Iowa state. So we could absolutely lose a game like this again. Yeah, I, uh, I, Connor, I, I, I appreciate your input, especially on the on the snow game. I, if I ever see K State play in the snow again, it'll be too soon. I don't want to do that again. <laughs> you know what? I, I hope that we play in the snow again. I, I, I think, I think if we play in the snow again, we now have a game of practice. So we know what to to work on. Yep. <laughs> and maybe next time there's a snow game, we'll be playing like Arizona State. <laughs> playing an air raid team? I more meant a team from a warm area. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I, yeah. But, do you want to, uh, we can talk a little more generally about MVPs. Offensive MVPs, I'm going to go Ben Sinnott. Uh, defensive MVP, no one, but I guess Nate Matlick. Yeah, I'm going to say Ben Sinnott offensively, and I would say Nate Matlick, but I, I'm not really feeling inclined to hand out an MVP just for the uh, performance. So Nate would get one, but unfortunately he doesn't because they can't behave. So yeah, the <laughs> no one gets an MVP. Y'all can't behave. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think another game like this is ever going to happen again. I think that if all conditions were normal, Iowa State probably loses this, this game, and I think they probably lose it by a lot uh, because the defense is actually able to play their game. But again, that's not what happened. That's not what happened, and that's not what was going to happen. So... I guess now we can talk. We'll do. We'll obviously do an episode that's like a full season recap. But just starting off our to talk about it. I mean, eight and four is where we end our regular season after aspirations of going to Arlington this year and a changed tiebreaker that ultimately didn't end up mattering. Um, we had aspirations of going to Arlington this year. We lost to MU, who ended up being a top 10 team in the country. I still have mixed feelings about that. but And then lost a head-scratcher to Oklahoma State, lost a game we predicted we'd lose uh, against Texas, and then 
lose the weirdest game <laughs> I've ever seen up against Iowa State. And if you would have told, I think, any K-State fan at the beginning of the season that we went 8-4 and four and missed Arlington, I feel like a lot of people would be disappointed. And I feel like just about every K-State fan would be disappointed. I'm a little disappointed. And I understand how we got there. <laughs> but, you know, it's sad. It sucks. It, but it's where we are. I mean, there's not... Okay, well, we'll, well, I'll ask this question after you give your general thoughts on basically what I, or like mirror the thoughts what I just said about your grand expectations, I suppose. Um. Well, yeah, we came into this year saying we think the K-State has a chance to go like 10-2, and 11-1, and face Texas and Arlington for like a rematch. And we thought that Casey had a chance to beat everybody on their schedule with the exception of Texas. And if you go down the schedule, that is kind of how the season played out. Except this year was kind of the opposite of last year. Where last year we got a lot of the breaks that we needed. And this year we just did not get that. And that's just how college football goes. And this year ultimately is a disappointment because our goals and aspirations were to make it to the Big 12 title. And the team themselves said in the offseason they had playoff aspirations, big bowl aspirations. And we're going to be lucky to make the Pop-Tarts Bowl at this point. Some people are saying we might make the Texas Bowl at this point, which is a fine bowl game. There's nothing wrong with that bowl game, but it's a massive step down from where you want to be. So I think this is probably the most disappointing season in the climate era. Uh, the first year was a surprisingly good year. 2020 was just a weird season that we can hardly count. 2021 ended on a high note, so I think that we left that season with optimism and in a fairly good spot. And then, of course, 2022, that's a successful year. We win the Big 12, and that's good. But this is kind of the first time that we've taken a, a notable step back, I feel like. And it's going to be interesting to see how we respond uh, with that. But I, I'm pretty disappointed in how this year ended, especially because I think all of our losses could have very easily gone the other way. Um, we were in several one-possession games this year. We lost most of them, and that's super frustrating. All of our losses were by one-possession or overtime games. Uh, we probably should have beat Mizzou on the road. We probably should have beat Texas on the road. Oklahoma State was a six-point game, although we probably didn't deserve to win that game. Maybe head-to-head -head we should have on paper at a neutral site, but weird things happen in Stillwater. This Iowa State game was the first game where we really, truly... Blew it. Kind of blew it, it feels. Yeah, like, like, like we were just dominated this game. Although Oklahoma State's maybe in that same category... Just, this is going to be a season that when you are looking down a list of season records for K-State and you see like, you know, like 2022 Big 12 champions, 9 and 4, 10 and 10 and 4, uh, you're going to be like, wow, it was a big year. Then you're going to kind of skip over the 2023 season because it's going to be like 8 and 5 or 9 and 4, depending on if we win the bowl game. And then whatever the next few years are. And 
people aren't going to look back and be like, oh, yeah, well, we nearly beat Texas in overtime that year. We nearly beat Missouri. We nearly beat Oklahoma State. There were, We were, like, four possessions away from Conference going 12-0. and 0. <laughs> like, like, People aren't going to remember that. Uh, people are going to mainly remember from this season that it was a, a massive missed opportunity for K-State football to really take another step forward and help establish itself as a power in the future Big 12. Because after this year, when we had the opportunity to really kind of make ourselves like that next one up uh, for the future of the Big 12, instead we've left the door wide open. And there's not a clear successor for the seat of power in the conference right now, which is pretty concerning to me. Yeah. I mean, just looking at the the new schools coming in, Arizona's on the up and up. Utah will always be good when they have Whittingham. Uh, Oklahoma State will always pull devil magic whenever you have no expectations for them and then be mid the moment you do, which means that they'll be mid next year. But, you know, I... I 100% agree with you. This was K-State's chance, like, this year to prove that they will be the class of the new Big 12. And they didn't. Like, just straight up, flat out, they did not prove this year that they have what it takes to be the class of the new Big 12. Does that mean that I think it's impossible for them to be? No. They just didn't prove it this year, and this was a massive year to make that step. So here's the big question. Uh, you and I have both used the word disappointment in terms of this season. There are a lot of people who, perhaps understandably, use the word, instead of using the word disappointment, they use the word failure. I don't necessarily like the word failure in this context. I think this is certainly Kleiman's floor. I've gone on record saying that I think Kleiman's floor in a regular season that doesn't have everyone on the roster getting injured is 8-4. and four. And in some respects, it is really disheartening to see that arguably the most experienced roster and one of the more talented rosters that Kleiman... Well, I don't want to say he's the most talented roster he'll ever have because look at the recruiting classes he's bringing in. But... You know, just the experience on the roster, and then you go 8-4. and four. I I don't want to say it's a failure, because it's the floor. I don't think I don't ever think that meeting your floor is a failure. You can be disappointed in it all you want, because you expect more. But I hesitate to call it an outright failure. I'm just curious as to what you think about that. Because I, I understand why people would consider it a failure. I think it really just depends on the lens you look at it through because I think a pretty reasonable way to look at it would result in it being a failure because the preseason expectation for a majority of the fan base was a return to Arlington. And we not only missed that, but we did not even put ourselves in a position to really be close when it was all said and done. And, um, I think going eight and four, missing Arlington in the regular season, I can't blame anybody that wants to classify that as a failure for the goals that we set this year. I don't think eight and four is necessarily a failure in an abstract sense. Like you're still getting to a bowl game, you're still well above five hundred. But I don't think that we should look at that as a 
good season. I think we need to have higher expectations than eight and four. And I think that we all agree on that. Um, so how do I look at it though? I I'm undecided on if I'm going to call this a genuine failure, but if I'm not, it's very close because I think everyone can agree that this year's really ended with kind of a dull thud and as a massive disappointment of a season. I'm very close to calling it a failure. A lot of that stems from just so much of this year just kind of ending as like the year of missed opportunity. And in a lot of ways, we really controlled our destiny at a lot of points in this season. And every time we had the opportunity to take a step forward and make it more likely for ourselves that we would move on and get back to Arlington, we blew it. We were anti-clutch this year. Everyone we faced, we were either blowing them out or we lost, with the exception of the KU game. And that's a little disconcerting, but I'm not really sure what else to say other than I think I I I may have talked myself into this being a failure of a season. I'm still going to watch the bowl game, and I'm still really excited. Just because I say it's a failure of a season doesn't mean... I think it was an outright bad season. I think those are different things because I think we failed to reach the goals that we set for ourselves, which was getting back to Arlington. And we didn't do that, obviously. So that in itself, that in of itself is a failure. But going eight and four, we still had some really great performances. We saw some young players really show out. We saw some newcomers uh, do some really good things. And there's still the opportunity for a bowl win against a quality opponent. And there's still an opportunity there for us to see some younger players uh, maybe take a step forward. We've also got a lot of guys that I think next year will take another step. Uh, We're probably going to have a different quarterback next year if we were guessing. And I think that the fan base despite what obviously we're huge, huge, huge Will Howard fans, but the fan base may just need a refresh at this point and unite and someone they can get behind as a united front, you know, the, that it may just be time for, for that. And I think maybe everybody's in agreement on that, but I, I think when we look back at the season in 20 years, I think we'll look at it as a failure. I think. You also mentioned the the new quarterback, and my biggest my biggest fear is that no one will ever be happy. That's my biggest fear because i I saw the call, I saw the calls for Avery. I understood the calls for Avery. Um, people don't understand that Avery is still eighteen years old. My thing, I think you're right though. On a lot of people will never be happy with the quarterback. And I think that there is one distinct reason for that, if you'll give me the chance to explain this. This is something I've thought about since I was like a junior at K-State. Honestly, since before then, before then, back in 2019, so I was a sophomore. I, I've thought this for a while. I think that most K-State fans will always be disappointed with the quarterback position because most K-State fans are Chiefs fans and they watch Patrick Mahomes throw the ball on Sundays. I think that's why most K-State fans are always going to struggle watching a quarterback that isn't this alien, like alien elite future Hall of Famer that can do 
anything, and the only time he ever fails is when he's let down by the people around him. Or he gets bored. Yeah, or he gets bored. And that that's it. That's the only time that he ever does anything wrong. And even then, he can do no wrong in the eyes of Chiefs fans for the most part. And he's, I mean, he's the best quarterback to be in the, he's the best NFL quarterback right now. When his career's done, he'll probably be the best quarterback to ever play the game. And how, how are you going to go from watching that on Sundays to watching a kid who is definitely not Patrick Mahomes <laughs> on Saturdays quarterback your favorite college team? That I think that's at least part of it, that a lot of KCA fans will probably never be satisfied at the quarterback position. I don't think that's any fault of K-State fans. I mean, it, if, watching Patrick Mahomes is super fun. There's, there's a reason people like Patrick Mahomes. He's really good at football. But, like, I, I, I do think that there's maybe some of that. Like, I remember back in 2019, a lot of people used to tell me that they hated Skylar Thompson. Skylar Thompson's awful. You know, Skylar Thompson's a horrible quarterback. I hate watching him. He can't make, like, these, like, crazy throws. And he's like, well, and they're like, well, quarterback can't do that. And it's, well, you're you're watching Mahomes. All of them. Yeah, most, <laughs> most human quarterbacks can't make those throws. That's why there's like 500 college teams and 32 NFL teams. <laughs> so there, there's a reason for that. But I do think Avery Johnson is going to be a rallying force for K-State. I'll, I'll, I'll try and end this on a positive note because I've been, I've been a little critical, I feel like. Um, Avery, I think, pretty much unanimously is already loved right now by K-State fans. Um, I think that everybody at minimum is going to be starting from the same place with Avery Johnson next year. I think don't, don't do that. (laughs) Sorry. He, I was staring directly at my desk because I just imagined every possible bad outcome, but please, I'll get into that in a minute. Just please finish. (laughs) I, I think next year when you were starting the season at like 6 p.m. because we always start at 6 p.m. <laughs> against UT Martin and Avery Johnson's trotting out for his first uh, start as a quarterback uh, for K-State. Um, I think everyone's going to kind of be in the same spot. The receiver start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, I'm glad you caught that. But he, uh, I feel like Will, for pretty much his entire career, has been at varying points or at varying levels for the fan base there's been people who have always supported him like, like we've pretty much always unconditionally supported him but there's always been a lot of people that you know have i pretty much at no point supported him and i'm not gonna make that comparison but the um i'll ask after the episode <laughs> please do <laughs> but he um was definitely divisive as a k-state quarterback there's n- no doubt about that he was one of the most divisive k-state quarterbacks i have ever seen maybe maybe the most ever but Avery Johnson was a massive recruiting win he's an in-state kid everybody loves him because he always seems to be doing all this like good stuff out in public and just like seems to have great PR I had his like big like coming out party against Texas Tech and seems to be on the right track and can kind of be the like air quotes face of a franchise like sort of quarterback for K-State going forward so I think that the quarterback situation going forward is pretty positive. But 
it ultimately comes down to how he performs because as we have seen opinions can change quick so for Avery's sake I hope he performs thank you for setting me up with like the perfect layup transition there um I have watched this fan base and I I'm just going to outright steal the line from Scott Wildcat. Fan is short for fanatic, but that doesn't mean that it has to be short for idiot. That doesn't mean that it has to be short for someone who is stupid. Uh, And K-State, as a fan base, has had the tendency to, the moment anything goes wrong, it is, oh, this guy sucks. Why is X playing over Y? Um, And let me clarify something. That sometimes there is a pattern, and sometimes that statement is correct. However, there are, that has to happen like four or five times for it to become a pattern and for it to be correct. K-State fans do it at point at step point five. <laughs> they will see a single incomplete pass and go, oh, this guy sucks. What's going on here? Oh, he made like a, a bad read because someone was lurking underneath the route and he didn't see him. This guy sucks. My biggest fear is that Avery is going to have a young quarterback game. And then what? Like that that is my biggest fear is how the K-State fan base responds to that. Because I there's a certain sense of entitlement that I think K-State fans have and you mentioned it by watching Patrick Mahomes. And I I I think that that's a very good point. But I I think Avery will be a very good quarterback. Let me clarify something right off the bat. I think Avery has the potential to be the best quarterback that has ever walked through K-State. I think he has that sort of potential. He has first-round draft pick potential. He has top 10 pick potential. But (laughs) potential is a fickle thing, is a fickle mistress. And the worst thing that you can do to someone who has a lot of potential is try to force them early into it. I think Will had a potential to be even better than he is. I already think he is a good quarterback, but he was forced into a situation too early. People turned on him very quickly because they weren't what they expected. They weren't what they wanted him to be. And then suddenly the entire fan base turns against him. And I don't think that Avery will have to deal with that to the same extent. Because Avery is... This is no disrespect towards him. Avery is the golden child right now who can do no wrong. And you know, that's fine. He's a Kansas kid. He's a highly recruited you know, quarterback. And like I said, he has potential to be the best quarterback that K-State has ever seen. I just really worry <laughs> about how the fan base, who has seen what good quarterback play looks like and actively shunned it what they will do when a quarterback who has all the potential in the world but hasn't reached that potential yet i'm scared to death of how they'll react yeah i can understand that i think avery probably gets a longer leash whether we like it you and me like it or not (laughs) And I I think he deserves a longer leash than what Will got, because I think Will deserved a longer leash, period. But I think Avery deserves patience. I think 
he still, though, has shown to be very dynamic. He's shown that athletically he's ready. And his decision-making will get there, I think. Because uh, we have seen him make some great decisions and make some great throws. But there's also been multiple times that he has not made the right choice. And that's okay. That's fine. Because we want quarterbacks to make mistakes early in their career. Because that is the best time to do it. When, you know, it's not like a Big 12 title on the line. It's, oh no, we almost threw a pick against Texas. And we were already losing. But it was dropped. So that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. And... I think that a reason to be fine. I, I, I think that with an offseason of him as the guy, I, I'm going to have pretty high expectations for him next year, but I'm not going to lose my mind if he doesn't perfectly meet them. I'm not going to lose my mind if he isn't immediately what we hope for, but he may be that. So I guess I'm hoping that, fam, that the KSA fan base treats Avery differently then they treated Will. And I think that they will do that, which is maybe the saddest part of all, but I do think that he will be given a longer leash uh, because I, I do think that Avery's walking into a much better situation. Oh, oh God. Undoubtedly. <laughs> like, there... You could not... Uh, okay. This is... We'll, put, we'll kick this can down the road for now. This is a completely separate episode. But suffice it to say, it, this season has been a disappointment. But you know we still have the bowl game to play, and it, it's funny how the last game on the year can change a lot of people's minds if it goes well. Because you and I remember not enjoying the 2021 One. season, yeah. uh, which was the first year of the show, and there were times that you and I both considered like. Damn, do we really, we really want to do this? Like after some really tough losses, notably the Texas one, uh, there were there were times that we're like, well, damn, this is awful. It's I I've seen a lot of people saying they don't care about the bowl game. They're lying. If we yeah, if we win the bowl game, like we beat LSU back in 2021, or I guess that would have been 2022 technically. But mm-hmm. if we do that then I think tunes will change. Because then we still end up with a 9-4 and four record uh, where we have an upward trajectory moving forward. There's excitement building into next year. And then all spring we get to hear about how everybody's so excited coming off of the bowl when everybody wants to continue to compound that positive energy as opposed to like having to like have your last game be a loss for the next like seven months. Seven, eight months, yeah. So... Obviously, it's way more fun to win your bowl game. Even if right now it doesn't feel like it's worth it, it totally is. If you win your bowl game, that's awesome. You get a cool trophy. You get to call somebody the MVP of the bowl game. You get to spend the whole offseason prognosticating about how this true freshman who had, like, a single catch in the bowl game is going to, like, explode and <laughs> oh, have, like, like what we did five, with 500 yards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like... Like, like all of that stuff like everyone's gonna be able to do that have a lot of fun uh i don't think we're getting a new oc so unfortunately we won't be able to break down an entirely new offense but we uh will maybe see some avery johnson i bet we see avery johnson in this bowl game oh, pff, a yeah. significant amount but i don't know bowl games matter 
bowl games absolutely do. If you don't think bowl games matter, you I don't, don't think like I don't think football. you like college football. The uh, that's not our take. Why that's, do you hate America if yeah. you hate bowl games? Yeah, it's, it's inherently anti-American, I think, to hate <laughs> bowl games. Uh, I will be reporting you to Joseph McCarthy. But I am very excited for our bowl game, no matter who we play, no matter what bowl game it is, unless it's the Liberty Bowl. If it is the Liberty Bowl, I will not be watching. Uh, but if, if it's the Liberty Bowl, we're not even doing a preview. No. The season's over. We didn't make a bowl game, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, I, I'd rather miss a bowl game and go to the Liberty Bowl, personally. That's the only bowl I'll say it for. I'd rather go to a, a bowl game that's like lower on the bowl tier than to the Liberty Bowl. I, I don't think that's a controversial statement. No, Until not. they renovate their stadium, which they're supposedly going to be doing. Okay. I'll, I'll give them another shot when that <laughs> happens. But I, I, I'm still, despite ending on a sour note uh, with this loss, we still had some really fun games at home this year. A lot of blowouts. Uh, where we got to see Avery Johnson uh, have some exciting runs at times. Um, DJ Giddens hopefully is back, and he had a 1,000-yard rushing regular season this year. And that was with splitting carries of Trayshawn Ward. So a lot to be excited about going forward, at least right now. Yep. So that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville Cats. If you want to aim, email us, we're AggievilleAllyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us more personally, I'm at ACEdward00. I'm at Connor Bouncesor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store. Link in our Twitter and podcast bios. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>